So the Bible reading tonight is uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, thank you, Yvonne. Chapel Lane, good evening. Great to be with you. Pete Steadman is my name. Let me start by saying... Tim Schooler, <laughs> how you can publicly shame people who have not been baptised and get away with that is outrageous, let alone get up on the stage from the wrong side. Here's the thing. At Norwest, we run a tight ship and there will be discipline tomorrow, have no doubt. <laughs> Friends, uh, very exciting. We're in Acts chapter 6, one of my favourite chapters uh, in Acts. But here's the thing, I feel like I keep saying this every time I preach through Acts and I just love the book and I, um, I, I trust you do too. Um, uh, we want you to have a Bible in front of you. We want you to see that what God says we take seriously. So you can bring your own Bibles, you can use your app, but if you'd like to have a Bible in front of you, uh, Tim's got them up the back and you just put your hand up and he will bring one round to you right now. Alrighty, well, it was three years ago now that I was in California for a conference run by a very large evangelical church in Sun Valley. Let me just tell you, Americans really know how to put on a good conference. There was free food everywhere, like buckets of soft drinks and buckets of lollies and 24-hour ice cream. There was lobster food trucks from Maine. It was just amazing. Uh, then there was the biggest marquee with the biggest bookstall that I've ever seen. You could buy whatever book you wanted, and that was on top of the 10 free books you got just for going to the conference. And then there was the shoe shine. That's right, a shoe shine, a place where you could sit down for 10 minutes and get your shoes shined. Now, don't judge me. Don't shoe shame me. But having never had a shoe shine before, I thought, why not? And so I sat down and this lovely man came up to me and started shining my shoes. Actually, the very shoes I'm wearing tonight, which is irrelevant but topical. And we got chatting, as you do. Uh, he said, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from Australia. I said, you? He said, oh, I'm from here in Sun Valley. This is my churchy. What do you do in Australia? I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. Uh, are you a pastor? I mean, I knew that he wasn't a professional shoeshine. And he laughed. He said, no, 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 I'm not a pastor. I'm a judge of the circuit court here in LA. Oh, I thought, like a judge. And I just had one of these moments where I thought to myself, now this is really strange uh, because I've got a man in front of me who all week is called Your Honour on his knees, touching and polishing and cleaning my shoes. 
And so I did what we'd all do. I just pointed out a small spot that he missed and asked him. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I want to ask you a question tonight. If I was to let you know that next week at our 8.30 service, on the deck after the service, I needed 12 people from Chapel Lane to come along and be shoe shiners for three hours for the two morning services, 8.30 and 10.30. I wonder what your initial gut response would be. I'm not experienced. Yeah, sure, no one is. I'm quite busy next week. Ah, what are you doing? Anything but that. That doesn't sound appealing. I serve in other ways. I just want you to notice your gut response. So I asked him, I said, mate, why do you do this? And he laughed and he looked around at the thousands of people at his church. He said, Pete, I couldn't miss this. We love being able to serve God's people here as they come to be refreshed and encouraged through God's word. This is the least I can do. Now, you know what? I know nothing about how circuit court judges in the US get remunerated, but I know it's more than nothing, which is what he was being paid to shine shoes. I don't know how intellectually stimulating it is to be a judge, nor the sense of contribution to a society that you feel as a judge, but I can only assume it is slightly more than what a shoeshine would feel. Brothers and sisters, the question of the night is this. What makes a judge shine shoes? Welcome to Acts chapter 6. Please make sure you have your Bibles open in front of you for what is just a cracking little section we're going to look at. So remember, we are in the early days of the world's first church, uh, where only a few chapters after the Holy Spirit being poured out, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, that has gathered together God's people, the church, into existence for the first time. And the story we heard read before uh, shows us one of the first crises that came upon the early church. Essentially, what we have uh, is the story of the Christian church in Jerusalem here. And we read, notice this, that there is ethnic diversity within the world's first church. We read that there's at least two groups in this church. There is a, a group of Hebrew Jews from Palestine who have come to trust in Jesus. And there's Greek Jews from everywhere else who have come to trust in Jesus. And the p- complaint comes towards the leaders of the church that there are Greek widows in the church who are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this is the context for all that unfolds. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. Because here we read the strategy the leaders have for fixing the problem. And I think we're actually shown something even more important as well. So following the disciples say, uh, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So uh, the resolution to the issue is as follows. There's this pressing need that must be addressed. We see that it would be negligent for those who have been called and gifted in the ministry of the Word to do that task. But it's absolutely appropriate that someone covers that ministry. And then we read that everyone's happy. Well, I think there's four really important things here that are worth pointing out for us tonight, particularly as we think about how we serve, both here at Norwest, but then in our broader lives as well. So here's the four. Firstly, for those who are called to the role of pastoring God's church, it is crucial that they remain focused on the twin tasks of prayer prayer, 
and ministry of the word. Now, what's ministry of the word? I take that to be a catch-all for teaching, for preaching, and for bringing the word of God to bear upon people in pastoral contexts. Social ministry, as important as it is, is not to distract the pastors of God's people away from their primary calling and responsibility. Now, let me just say this. That does not mean that ministers like me or community group leaders or um, service leaders can say, look, I don't go to working bees. I'm a minister of the word. Nor can that mean that people like me say, look, I don't stack chairs. These hands, they're for prayer. <laughs> they're for typing out, you know, scripture-infused sermons. Not at all. In fact, uh, there's a large church in London where if you choose to do an internship there or join the MTS program as you consider a life of ministry, the first year of the program is really very simple. You stack chairs and sweep halls. Why? Because one of the first things that pastors of God's people need to learn is that their lives are lives of service and there is nothing that they should be unprepared to do. Pastors must be prepared to do anything. And yet... The issue of being distracted from one's principal calling remains. You do not want your pastors distracted from prayer and ministry of the word. To, to have that situation would be disastrous for a church. That's the first, here's the second. Both the 12 disciples in this story, as well as the seven men in this story who are doing the food distribution, are doing ministry. This is a huge point. Um, and I actually think the NIV covers this over for us and it's hard to see. So I'm going to walk you through it. Now, I'm not sure we think like this. I think some of us think in the room, look, the spiritual things in this place are ministry, you know, real ministry, like praying in church or reading the Bible in church, leading a community group or even preaching. Oh, I don't do that. I do more mundane things. I help with the supper up the back or I count money or I'm a kid's helper um, or, you know, I don't really do that. I don't do the real stuff. I don't do the meaningful stuff. I just want to say, if that's your thinking, you have got it all wrong. Because the literal translation of the two different activities in this passage here is the service of the word and the service of tables. The problem is the NIV drops that service of tables and it says waiting on tables. But that word is there. Um, And the word service is the word for ministry. What we're being shown here is two different types of ministry. Uh, Ministry of the word and ministry of tables. Different, sure, but both ministry. Here's my point. There is no sense here at all of this sacred and secular divide. If you're one of the people here who think, look, I don't really do the spiritual things. I just serve how I can. Man, that thinking really needs to change. You need to have a much higher view of what you do here for you are serving Jesus. That's number two. Here's number three. Character is crucial for both groups. You know, whenever our staff here at Norwest invite others in our church to be involved in leadership here or even uh, to, uh, to join our staff team, A key essential trait that we look for is godly character. If you belong to Norwest, you might know that we will have no leaders over bad leaders. But what I want you to notice is this. Godly character is not only for those who do word-based ministry. It's for all God's servants. Look at verse 3, please. So the disciples select these seven men who are full of the spirit and wisdom now, keep in mind, this is for the hospitality ministry, right? You think that the key requirement would be knowledge of the five food groups 
or food preservation in the age before refrigeration or something like that. No, they need to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit, that means soundly converted, love Jesus above all and live for him as empowered and prompted by his Holy Spirit. But also they need to be full of wisdom. They need to be wise. What is wisdom in the Bible? It is knowing how to live life in a way that makes life work. And these people need to be wise because they need to handle uh, women who are in a very precarious situation in life um, and they need to distribute basic needs amongst them across ethnic difference as they weigh up need versus greed and so on. It's deeply complex. Godly character is critical here. Fourthly, finally, what we see here is that all ministry is about Jesus. What we're actually seeing here is not service of the word and service of tables. What we're seeing here is the service of Jesus. Both the 12 and the 7 are all about serving Jesus, serving his people and serving his gospel. And I'm convinced here, you need to follow me here. I'm convinced that these seven men who are serving tables were happy to do it. In fact, I think they were gifted to do it. But I'm also convinced that they waited on tables because their hearts beat not for food, but for Jesus. Why do I think this? Let me show you. In the very next story... The man who's charged with leading this ministry, a man called Stephen, uh, we see him again. Now, he's given the particular ministry of serving tables in chapter 6. But in chapter 7, it is Stephen who we see preaching the gospel, defending the gospel, and then being murdered for the gospel. That's a sneak peek, chapter 7 next week. Make sure you're here. I mean, Stephen could have said martyrdom, like die for Jesus. No, 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 no. I do the cutlery. But he doesn't. Now, the next man who's named in the, in the seven Greek uh, names is Philip. Now, Philip, we meet two chapters later in chapter 8, sharing the gospel and leading an Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Jesus. If there was ever someone who could have said, no, 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 I don't share Jesus. I don't, I, I'm not the evangelist here. I, I just actually make sure that you know, the hors d'oeuvres are happening. That's Philip, but he doesn't. Here's what we see. Every ministry... Whatever its stripe, whatever its style, whatever its task, is about Jesus. For our hearts beat for him, for his gospel and for his people. Chaplain, I wonder if you can see how important this story is for us as we consider serving Jesus in his church. You know, what I want to do now is I want to have a chat to you about what I think the state of play is here at Norwest when it comes to us and serving, Okay. You know, one of the things that we have learned here coming out of COVID is that the ministries that kept running throughout COVID continue to run well, but the ministries that were shut down during COVID have not bounced back. And what I'm about to describe is actually pretty uniform across a whole bunch of churches and denominations, not just us. So you know that during COVID, our community leaders stepped up amazingly And our community groups were such critical places of engagement and encouragement, sometimes tears as we walk through a very difficult and uncertain time together. Well, you know what? We have more community groups today than then with new leaders and with new energy. You'll know that during COVID, our musicians and our tech team stepped up or got redeployed or retrained, whatever you want to call it, so we could start to do church at home, chapel lane at home, so we could start to sing at home and feel connected and gather as God's people in a whole new way. We'd never done that before, but we were able to come together and do church together live like we're doing right now. Good to have you with us. 
As a direct result, our music ministry, our tech ministry, continues to serve us so well today. Kids ministry has not fared so well. Before COVID, we had a ministry with around 50 leaders and kids helpers and coordinators serving our many children here at Norwest across a Friday afternoon, a Sunday morning and a Sunday avo. But then in a moment, that ministry was shut down almost completely. We went from a team of 50 down to a team of five. Why? Because ministry was reduced all of a sudden to making Norwest Kids TV for a Sunday morning and one avo online for a Friday avo. And right now, our kids' ministry here at Norwest, that vital, critical engine room of growing kids to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ is not doing so well. We have few leaders, tired coordinators, and Tim Schooler is finding it really hard to find people who will sacrificially serve in that ministry. Now, there's no blame here. We're hearing this across a number of churches and it is the same for our youth ministry here as well. And I want to say to you, that's really painful. I have two children who'd normally be going to a a, a Friday afternoon ministry we're not running, who every Friday afternoon saying, Dad, is it on this week? Not this week, guys. Not this week. Guanavo is our key evangelistic ministry for drawing new kids and therefore their families into the life of the West. It's not happening. Now, there's some good news. It's not all bad. Um, I've just had a third interview with a man who we think will probably become our new Director of Family Ministries here. And a number of people have been praying about that. If that's you, thank you so much. But that's for a 2023 start. Here's my question for you. Why has it been so hard for Tim Schooler to find sacrificial leaders of kids' ministry? Now, I know that right now there's a significant minority in the room who are thinking, hey, I'm going to talk to Tim because maybe I can help out. I also know there's a significant minority in the room who are thinking, there's no way that's me. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're right. But just notice your initial gut response. What makes a judge shine shoes? Every Wednesday, we put out a weekly video with things that are coming up. If you watched it last week, Craig was sharing about how in August of this year, a couple of months' time, and for the very first time, Norwest is planning on, planning on running a month of mission, a month of reaching out to our community, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbours with the hope of Jesus. It'll be just like Mission 2020, but it'll actually happen. We hope. And we do want this to become an annual thing. And the reason we want to do this goes back to our vision series at the start of the year. And I wonder if you remember what I said there. Now, I'm about to put up a quote. It's something I said. That's really weird. That breaks all the the conventions of public. You don't quote yourself and put it up, but I'm doing it. Let's see how we go. What I said uh, three months ago is I wondered if we as a church and therefore me as a lead pastor had grown satisfied with too small a vision. I wonder if we have settled for a a satisfaction of full buildings and happy children, lots of programs, yet lost our focus on Jesus, the hope of the world. And when I say we, I really mean me. Can I say in terms of mission here, the staff team know that we cannot pull off this mission, Hope for the Hills. We can't do it, certainly not the staff. Not even the staff with 10% of our church stepping up. But we absolutely can if we're all in. 
And we want to invite our church to jazz under the stars. We want to share the hope of Jesus as David Robertson preaches to our friends. We want to all get better at sharing our own faith in Christ. So we're going to be putting on some nights for us to help about, to think about how we could do that better. And we're going to stop to pray to beg the Lord of the harvest to bring home those who belong to Him. Chaplain, my question is this. Are you in? Are you willing to step up and serve? Here is my personal promise and commitment to you. What we ask you to do will not fit in with your schedule. It'll clash with your priorities and it will require you to put off something that you'll certainly prefer to do in the moment. Are you in? Even in sacrificial and time expensive ways. Now just notice your gut response. What makes a judge shine shoes? You know, here in the West, we, we absolutely want to be gentle, yet unapologetic in calling people to serve our God. And there's at least two reasons for that. Here's the first. <laughs> You've been made for it. God has made you to serve others. It's what you've been created for. And if you know Ephesians, you know this is what Paul says. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, when we start to get this and grasp this and live this, we start to grow in wisdom. Life works the way it's meant to. We start to live life the way we were made. Now, I just want to suggest to you, actually, that this is no Christian secret. The world knows this. So this is uh, psychologist uh, Stephanie Brown from the University of Michigan. She says this, listen, making a contribution to the lives of other people may help extend our own lives. In other words, it isn't what we get from relationships that makes contact with others so beneficial. It's what we give. But Chaplain, I just want to say to you, you don't need a PhD in psychology to learn this. You could just believe Jesus in Acts 20 when he says this. It's more blessed to give than receive. And I reckon a number of you know this from experience. You know this is true because there are people in the room who sometimes just pour themselves out. Now, musos are a great example. They have families. They're busy. They are here. Four services across the day, right? Um, they serve us so well. Our, our, our youth leaders, our, our kids' leaders, a whole bunch of people do this. All those who are at carols running security or packing up the event or Easter extravaganza. And you go home and it's late, you know, it's like midnight after carols, whatever. And you go home with this lovely sense of, I am completely knackered. But man, that was awesome. That is a gift from God. That's when you're starting to taste how good it is to live according to your design, doing the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. It's the first reason we're unapologetic about calling you to serve, but here's the second. It's because around us is a harvest field of people loved by our God, whom our God wants to call to himself, whom our God wants to forgive and show them new life in him. And yet they do not even know his name. It's because, and let me quote something else from the Vision Series in February. This time it's not me. It terrifies me that people may enjoy the sermon, participate in small group ministry, volunteer on one of our many teams and be completely satisfied by their church experience, 
yet be spiritually apathetic towards the person and work of Christ. That's terrifying. And the reason we want to actually call you to serve in time sacrificial and significant ways, knowing that the Lord of the harvest longs to bring in a harvest, is because that prevents us from growing spiritually apathetic to the Lord Jesus Christ. The biggest shot in the arm in the Christian life is leading someone from darkness to life and seeing God's sovereignty over the whole thing. And more and more we're going to ask you to serve here. We will be sensitive. We'll work on that. We'll be unapologetic. No need to work on that. Because, and hear me rightly, I'm neglecting my care of you. We are neglecting our responsibility for you as your pastors if we don't call you to this. In fact, we're doing you a misservice by not asking you to use your gifts in the service of our God, to lift your eyes to the harvest field that is white for harvest. You have been made for it. How could I not call you to use the gifts God has given you to do the good works which he's prepared in advance for you? How could I not call you to partner in the joy of seeing new life come to those in darkness? Do you serve? Why not? Don't rob yourself of the joy and the privilege. So what makes a judge shine shoes? I think a judge shines shoes when he's gripped by a bigger vision than the task before him. You see, a judge shines shoes when he knows that he's not just shining shoes. You see, when you have a vision of the future and of life and of the forgiveness of sins and of the love of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that will cause you to get off the bench, to take off your wig to put aside your title and to get on your knees to serve our King. And we need shoe shiners here at Chapel Lane, but not to shine shoes. And we need hospitality team leaders here at Chapel Lane, like Stephen and like Philip, but not to do hospitality, just to love and long to serve our Lord, whatever that means, whatever that takes, whatever the cost. Verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amazing. (laughs) Let's pray. Oh, our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak so clearly to us. We thank you that it is like a double-edged sword and it cuts us to the heart. May we learn from your word, Father. And Father, what we learn tonight is stunning that you, the creator of the world, invite us into your mission, your mission to save the lost. Invite us, frail, broken, sinful, And yet you want us to serve you and you might even work through us as you draw people to yourself. Father, will you so bubble up within us, may the love of Jesus so overflow within us that we just look to serve him wherever we are, whatever we do, and all for his glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.